What is up, everybody in podcast land? I am uh, just kind of coming off the back of a really cool interview I just did with uh, someone that I oh I got, I know a little bit uh, another CrossFit CrossFit family friend. Uh, for those of us in the cult, you know what I'm talking about. For those outside of the cult, drink the punch. It's well worth changing your life. Um, I'm a massive advocate for CrossFit. Um, I know that it has done a lot for just who I am, what I, what my health is, the way I think about what um, a structured life should be, a good routine, a good way to eat, a good way to feel good about uh, the body, mind, and uh, soul. I don't know if that's necessarily it, but it does. It makes me happy, so I think it is all of that. Uh, but I uh, sat down with uh, Jiv uh, today, uh, who I, I guess I knew sort of uh, at an arm's length, you know, just sort of you know work, doing workouts and seeing her kick some ass in the uh, CrossFit gym. But um, then she cottoned onto the podcast and had mentioned that she enjoyed it, and I uh, then found out that she was a therapist, and it sort of rang some bells in my mind around, well, geez, it'd be very interesting to talk to somebody who actually talks to people. Um, you know, to get their view of the world on, on all this stuff that I kind of ramble on about. You know, my, my brand of crazy, uh, you know, is just my brand of crazy. It'd be interesting to hear how others in the world that actually work professionally in the field of, you know, therapy and talking to people and helping people think about their problems, uh, you know, kind of responds to, a, a, I guess, this show that I'm creating. So, you know, I ended up sitting down and having an insane conversation, a very deep dive into many things, um, you know, with with her uh, and, you know, kind of kind of got some you know depth on me, which was uh, not really the intention. It was more uh, to you know kind of have a, a chat about the general idea of all this stuff and how it plays out. Um, but she was an absolute uh, pro at this. She uh, has a background of doing talking and uh, speaking, and by the sounds of it, has done some radio. Uh, she said that she was on, uh, I think she was on the Triple J Late Show. can't remember what it's called. Damn it. I hate that. Um, but it's like the sex talk show, which is hilarious. Um, so she was good. She, uh, she had a lot to say, a lot to offer, and was definitely uh, paying attention to me, which I thought was, you know, kind of you know, eerie and cool at the same time. I was <laughs> a few moments. I was like, "Whoa, she's uh, definitely listening to what I'm saying, and she's analyzing what I'm, what I'm saying," <laughs> which was kind of fun. You know, I played it out a bit. You know, there's a few moments where I felt a little bit, uh, you know, kind of emotional through the experience in the sense that I was, you know, feeling some stuff and connecting, connecting that part of me to the uh, the logical side of my brain and really kind of riding it out. It was good to be in that moment and and be part of something that I thought was meaningful and. You know, quite nice. So, uh, yeah, very different uh, interview in that, you know, we, we kind of ducked and dived through so many different things. I mean, outside of uh, her profession, her husband is like this, you know, side hustle game show guy. I mean, you can't wait. That was just mind blowing to hear about, you know, fast cash grabs and game shows. I mean, geez. And he's a criminal defense, uh, criminal, criminal prosecutor, which is even like hardcore suit style stuff. Um, not that it suits, but you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's that sort of, uh, you know, that that part it's like a tv show thing so um yeah nevertheless this is this is my uh very interesting conversation with Giverny. i hope that i did that right i may have to re recut that um but uh yeah good chat with her and uh yeah i guys i really hope you guys enjoy this and uh, we'll be uh talking to you in the outro i believe um oh i do want to make sure that i reference a new podcast 
because apparently in this podcasting community, it's all about telling other people about podcasts you're listening to. So I'm currently listening to a podcast called How I Built This with Guy Raz. It's an NPR podcast, and really they go through and it's a it's a top dog podcast. It's you know definitely one of the ones that's out there that's you know gaining a lot of has a lot of momentum. But yeah, I mean there's some really good things about you know how people started things. How did they get started? What what sort of shit did they go through? Um, well worth a listen if you have not checked it out. Um, the initial one I listened to was because someone mentioned that. Uh, James Dyson was on it, so I wanted to hear about that because the wife works for Dyson. Uh, really quite a neat neat uh, interview. And then I've uh, started listening to the James Burton Carpenter, the guy that started Burton Snowboards, um, who's actually no longer no longer here. But um, yeah, what a what a, a neat conversation about that guy's past as well. So so far, I've been really uh, really really uh, impressed by by the depth of the information and what the honesty that the people are putting into that. So anyways, bit of an aside, I get it. Um, but, uh, you guys want to get onto the show. So uh, here it is, uh, Jiv and I talking like life and the brain and the past and the future. And what does it all mean? Enjoy. Give to somebody who's more invested in mm-hmm. doing it all. Oh yes, dog, you bonked your own head. All right, mate. <laughs> oh Zeus, just loving the pet. Yes, he friends? will be there all day. Are we friends? <laughs> well, I deprived him from being in the house, even though when I'm normally here, he's in and just lays on his bed the whole time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I made him wait outside today because it's not raining. Like he wants me to pat him, but he also wants me to look at him. Oh yeah, he's weird. There's like those that. eyes that mm. are like, look mm. me in the eye yeah. while you do it. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, he is a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he has this um, really weird thing where he comes up and he turns around and then he puts his butt next to you and then he stares at you. Well, <laughs> like this, like scratch like this. it, like, bitch. Yeah, yeah. Are, you gonna, yeah. are you doing it? He's so <laughs> weird sometimes. But I'm like, Beautiful. just go away, mate. Just go away. See? Look, that was a normal term for him. Shit it, dad. Yeah. You're not my real dad? No, I'm not. It'd be very weird looking children if you was a real dad. Very strange. <laughs> There's something very strange going on in this house. <laughs> I hope not. Poor Haley giving oh, birth dear. to puppies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Puppies this size. Yeah. Well, they don't come out that size. No? That's yeah. true. That's true. You just have like 10 of them. <laughs> Literally small oh ones. God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> too fresh, too real. <laughs> right. So how how long wait, so how long ago did you have a kid? How old now? So I have a little girl called Evelyn yeah. and she turned twelve months old on the twenty first of January. So she's twelve and a half months old. Right. Oh right. So just over one. Just over one. I feel like it's at that tipping point where I'm like, I don't want to say how many how old she is in yeah, months, months now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like now that she's over 12 months, it's like one and a bit. Yeah, one and a bit. Because I just hate when one. you hear people say, like you say, oh, how old's your, your little boy? And they go, oh, he's 27 months. And I'm like. <laughs> I have to do the math. Yeah, I have to sit back for like 15 <laughs> yeah. seconds. And yeah. it's like that meme where the maths is swirling yeah. around her head. And I'm yeah. like, why? Yeah. He's, he's two. He's two, yeah. Just go for that one. <laughs> yeah. We all know that number easily. Yeah. It's yeah. a quick, quick, quick way to say So it. she just turned one. Nice. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It's a big moment, the one. It feels like a big shift. Yeah. yeah. Everything changes. I get kind of tracking. Got a buddy of mine, I think he's got a, what is he, a three-year-old. I know someone else has got a two-year-old. You know, yeah. everybody's got their little timelines of where their kids are at and 
I've got a 15 year old and a 13 year old. Wow. And that's a whole other <laughs> it's another challenge. Realm of just total things. Right. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, you know, what I say to my, you know, my oldest kid is, you know, just like, just, you know, just don't do that. If you don't do that one, I'll be fine. But if you do it, you know, it's going to be pretty shitty around here, you mm -hmm. know, and he, I'd be, I, there's a pretty good open respect, but like, yeah, sometimes I'm like, you know, buddy, this is going to turn into possibly me yelling at you. Mm. If we push it, did, did you want to have a fight with me? Is that like where we're going? He's like, uh, like I don't really want to fight, dude. Like, I, like, can we just talk about it? You know? And he's like, uh, we have to go through it. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, it's a different world, you know, whereas a two year old. It's going to just scream at you. you know? Yeah. I can't talk to you and I there's no scream. There's no rationalizing. <laughs> no. Yeah. So no. different. So I do like it, but it's an adult, like a human now that now has issue mm -hmm. with so many other things, mm -hmm. things that are well beyond anything I understand about who they are kind of as a person with the, what's driving them. I'm like, well, is that because, you know, like, is it this? Mm -hmm. you know? There's lots of different motivations yeah. behind their emotions at that age mm, mm. and different emotions masking other emotions or yeah. other events. So it becomes a lot more sort of complex to sort of break down the, yeah, like the dynamic. Which is it? You yeah. Know, like what are we working with right now? You mm -hmm. know, I feed, I try to feed back to him my view of him, you know, like when we'll talk about things in a more of a generalist way. So like oftentimes I'm driving him around, you know, because that's mostly my job. With my sure. kids is driving around taxi, so like going to Sydney Uni for water polo at nine thirty at night, driving him back home and things like that. And there's two versions of him in the car. You know, there's one where he has frustrations and he just needs a pure vent and he's pissed and nothing is good and everything is shit. Or then there's somebody who's just super happy, chilled, relaxed, and has a really good kind of almost adult conversation. You know, wants mm. to talk through this, talk the stuff out. You know, but I then say to him, I'll get in the car and be like, which version we got today? Yeah. You know, because he knows that I know, and he's like. He's like, oh, you know, and sometimes it disarms him, you know, sometimes, you know, he kind of steps back from him, but then sometimes like, no, he's just like, oh, it's just, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, this is the one we've got. Yeah. Just get it out. You know, let's do the thing, you know, yeah. whatever it's going to be. And it's like, do you want me to just listen or do you want advice? Are you just wanting to vent? Yeah. I you just, wanting a sounding board? Like, you know, who, what am I which doing? one? Yeah. 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 And I'm happy with that. You yeah. Know? But that's the quality time. That's my QT. That's what I call it. QT with my kids is like that moment in the car, which is weird. You know, I find sometimes, but you know, I used to teach um, sex ed yeah. in high schools, um, but I'd also do education and training with youth workers and teachers mm. around how to deliver sex education, yeah. right? And um, we used to do some parent sessions and talking to parents about you know how to talk to your kids about sex and right. relationships. Yeah. And a lot of parents would talk about how they loved having those sorts of conversations in the car because mm. you've got a captive audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they can't go anywhere. That's right. yeah. um, but you also don't have to look at each other. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You're driving, so you can't be looking at them straight in the eye, yeah. constantly staring them down the barrel and making them really self-conscious. Yeah. And so you can have some really beautiful conversations that allows the person to sort of take time in their responses, mm. not feel like you're grilling them. Mm. Um, and so it's, I think it's a beautiful little cocooned mm. space. Yeah. You can't be overheard by anyone. That's true, yeah. Um, Unless a little brother's in the back seat. Well, true. Yeah. True. But that's all right, too. I like that part of it as well. That's like, good, I, too. I actually think it's interesting. I've also heard that um, when you have bad news, you tell it to somebody out at dinner, you know, at a public place. <laughs> I always thought it was fairly dangerous. Oh, that's risky. <laughs> it's risky. Yeah. But sometimes it's that thing, you know, like, well, what are they going to do? There's a containment social construct of their behavior will be 
change as a result of them being in public. But I think in the same way, like you're saying about the the cues of like not having to stare at somebody in their eyes, I mean, that could be very confronting. Yeah, There's actually a lot of stuff coming out now about like staring, like actually making eye contact for like 10 minutes with somebody and just like just with no talking and mm -hmm. just how crazy that can be as an experience. People don't really look at each other anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but having a little brother in the back seat, you know, because he's, you know, has his own little thing going on. And it's kind of like, well, no, I don't. Like, we should be able to talk about these things. It shouldn't be news or, you know, like yeah. some sort of unspeakable thing. Like, we can talk. And he will filter out the things that don't make sense to him yet. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not like, oh, you're going to, you know, ruin his childhood. Yeah. He will actually just take on the things that make sense to him. Mm -hmm. And if he's sitting with questions, then it sounds like you've got a relationship where he would be able to then come to you and mm. say, Dad, you were talking about, yeah. you know, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope, uh, well, I do have that relationship, but he's a stickler for not doing that. Mm. He likes to sit all quiet and pretend he's mysterious. Very, um, as I say, con he he is the ultimate manipulator. So mm. he's very good at seeing what's going on, understanding the patterns, seeing what what what's being said, overhearing the dynamics, knowing when to hide in the corner about it, and like act like he's he's fine. Nothing's going on with me, you know, like. But on the other side of his curtain, there's just just all sorts of manipulations happening, you know, where like, not in a bad way, but just like I think it's more of a result of just how young he was when I got divorced, you know, and all that stuff went down. He was like I think he was like two or three, so so young. Mm -hmm. So he's always had to put on a good show and you know, he's very funny and that's really good timing for just, you know, throwing licks out at his brother or at us or whatever. But um yeah, I've had to say to him many times, you know, I know what you're doing. Like you have to be able to say out loud you know, what it is you mm. want. So he won't even ask me to do a thing. He just will spend a half an hour circling, just circling. And I'm like, I know, I know you're doing it, but just let's lead with it. You know, I know when you come to my house, it's freedom for you to just play video games all day, you know, because we got a lot on, we're bouncing around between all these activities. You want to find time because you're not getting that time to do that. So why don't you say, dad, I want to play video games today, but what do you need me to do? Because you know I'm going to ask you to do some stuff or we've got plans so that you can just figure out when's the appropriate time because I'd rather you be responsible for making a good choice, knowing when that choice should be made and not having to like go, oh, so what time's dinner? What what are we doing for dinner? Do you need like, and, and just running me for a while until you figure it out and then go, oh, so can I go do this? It's like, mm -hmm. no, just let's lead with that. Let's get it off your chest because I can tell you're just working me. You know, and he's like, he's gotten a lot better with it, I think, mm. which is what's great about it. But at the same time, you know, I had to call him the other day about his French homework because his teacher sent an email about he missed doing it. And his mom's been away because she had a death in the family in Wales and so and all this sort of stuff. But he was at his mom's house for the couple of days because it was easier or something. And um, but I get this email from the French teacher saying, oh, he, he missed it. But, um, you know, I'm really on top of his learning and I really want to help him in French and all this stuff. And I said, Oh, well, okay. And so I just called him up and I just said, he's playing video games at his mom's house. And I'm just like, dude, just pause it. And I could hear that he's not. And I'm like, so you're either going to just like, I'm not going to stop until you hear me, but like, why didn't you do your homework? He's, Oh, I forgot. And I was like, well, now your teacher's saying that, you know, you've missed it and you're telling him that you can't do it because you've got, go to, got to go to sport or something. And that's not an excuse for him. And I said, why, what's happening? Why are you, he goes, oh, well, I didn't really think that I could get it done. And I said, but mate, like you'll be with me. We'll just do it. You mm. know, like it'll just get done. Mm. I said, why can't you get it all done? He goes, oh, this was released on a daily thing. So it's across three days. So you missed one day. I said, all right, well, it was really confusing because you're, 
you're basically you just told your teacher, I'm not going to do any of my homework. And then he can see in the system, you put 12 minutes of effort into one thing. It's like, it's not a good look, right? Like if you're, because last year you really oh God, bombed on systems. school. Oh my God. It's like total <laughs> watching like, them. They didn't have that oh. when I was at school. I was like, I was like man, oh, you've only shit. done 12 minutes of work. You're like, surely there's more oh, work no. to be done. And he's like, oh, you know. And um, so he's like mad at me because I'm calling him out. Mm. But I'm like, are you, you know, like you mad? Like, you know, like I said, you can be mad. I said, but fundamentally, like you got to do it. Because last year you really didn't do well in school. And we said this year, the bar's up. So you got to hit the bar. And I said, I'd call you out if you didn't hit the bar because you're going to Knox. You know, it's like you were paying for education. Not that that should be the pressure, but like you've got opportunity. Like yeah. the perspective here is what matters. Anyway, so he's like, he came over the next day. It's like, are you still mad? He's like, oh, I'm over it now. I was like, get your homework done. He's like, oh, get all he's, he's mad at his French coming out of his computer. And he's just like mad. trying to get mad at his <laughs> French homework. Oh boy. Anyway. How how old was he when you separated? Oh, uh, so I think he was like two or three. Yeah, I can't I cannot recall specifically. I because um I think Jet was uh he was five. Haley actually knows because she was more fresh for her because we were together. Um so the whole idea initially was like don't meet the kids for a year. Her and I gotta figure it out. You know, I didn't want any not not so much that I was worried about the boys, but it was just one of those things that I got an, an ex-wife and I was just like, I don't want complications. I'd rather just us figure out what we're going to do. And if it's a thing, if it's a thing, then, you know, we'll progress it and then we'll do the thing. But otherwise there's no point, you know, like it's, it's also hard knowing who she was. If like you create a relationship with my kids, it'd be hard for you. You know, like that's a thing. Right. And so, and I come from great dysfunction of like multiple divorces and many boyfriends and all sorts of stuff from my mom. So I was like, I get it. Don't like, want to repeat yeah, that. Yeah, I just it's it just one of those things. It just yeah. made sense. So, but if Jet was five, they're eighteen months apart. So he's somewhere between three and four mm-hmm. uh, at the time. I just don't recall exactly, but it happened inside the year because my ex-wife needed help, and I was like available and said, "Well, I can watch you, but I've got my girlfriend here and." she's going to be there. She's like, nope, that's fine. I just need the help. So I was like, oh, well, Band-Aid ripped off. And Van was there hanging out with us and went home and told his brother, oh, I met dad's girlfriend, like immediately. So he knew contextually at that age, like all Mm -hmm. that stuff. I'm pretty sure it's because his mom had a boyfriend, so he knew what that was. But Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, that's tricky to navigate with kids, I imagine. Yeah. I was, I think I'm predisposed to being all right with it because of my background. But like at the same time, it was more... Because I'm, I refer to myself as Disneyland dad, so it's I'm part time. So they only come around for the highlights. You know, it's like that, that the full time and the brunt of the work is all done at their mom's house. So all the all the tough days, all that stuff. Like I get it, and it's not easy. But initially we were fifty fifty. But when they started school, both school full time, we reverted to a you know um, a full time part time custody thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, which was shit. Like, I didn't like it. It was tough enough just to get separated and not see your kids, but then to like see them even less. Um, but yeah, so one of those things was, you know, um, oh God, telephone calls. Jeez. From numbers I do not know. Mm-mm. I love that. Those are my favorite phone numbers. Um, yeah. So early on, it was just kind of like one of those things where, you know, I started to revert into like, all right, well, it's kind of highlights, you know, like it's always the good times over at my house. And I was always like cognizant of, you know, like what, what does that mean to them? You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, sort of aware of that mm-hmm. early from the early stages of his life. Like he, he, they both kind of came over and did their thing, which was a very different thing to what they did at their mom's house. 
but we fundamentally had the same rules. Yeah. So yeah, it was always a little bit of a balancing. So that's sort of underpinning. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And and from an early stage, I'd gone in to get, um, I got like when you get separated, there's a lot of like government things that can you can go do, and one of them was Kids First, a program called Kids First, and it's a free government program where you go in and like get not counseling as such, but you get perspective from like uh, a unbiased mediator on how to have a marriage breakdown effectively. And so from my perspective, I was sitting in a bunch of room with varying degrees of like, you know, crazy breakup, crazy separations and divorces, which are incredible. Um, I I actually got quite lucky in the sense that I forced um, as much amicability. I forced as much around like, let's just raise these kids and not mess their lives up. That's my only goal. And in so doing, you know, I made concessions and there was stuff, but yeah, she got she got pretty mad at me for going because it was like uh, they call you up, you know, because they, they kind of asked the other partner to go to make it effective. And she's like, ah, oh, she got really mad. But then she ended up going, which was good. And she said, oh, so I'm glad I did. And it actually did fundamentally shift the conversation between us away from, you know, you are a piece of shit to, okay, fine, but what are we doing with the kids? Mm-hmm. Like that actually has nothing to do with these guys. Yeah, And I think that's helped the thing a lot. You know, I mean, it's that. it's sort of a dual process of grieving the relationship. Mm. I mean, it doesn't matter what point a relationship gets to mm. at the point where it mm. breaks up. Mm. There's always a level of, of grieving and letting go of that relationship. Mm. But the concurrent process of also sort of planning for the future together mm. in a new way. Yeah. So the future of co-parenting and yeah. sort of redefining your relationship mm. and the way you're going to parent mm. the boys together. Yeah. It's a strange dance between two processes yeah i i i agree I, of letting I've, go and recreating yeah i mean i i had to go through a full hate like i had to go through full hate mm-hmm. and and there's a lot about like that breaking down which i think was really good because we weren't in a good place and there's a whole bunch of stuff that was really bad um but at the same time it had to happen i think in order for us to get to where we had to go now which is you know roughly i mean she's about ready to get remarried i think she's getting remarried in april like Haley's gonna go do her makeup like it's a good, wow. yeah, right? Like that's all part of it, right? We have this want and desire to have a constructive grouping to family these children. There's still all the weird stuff. And sure. it is that, you know, like I've got all of these sort of crazy thoughts around, you know, being excluded and all this sort of stuff because fundamentally I'm not full time, right? So I often wonder like, you know, is this a proactive decision? Like mm-hmm. where I was pushed away or was it a thing you know or these are my kids you know like uh you know there's all that stuff but at the end of the day i kind of walk away because fundamentally it's like are the kids all right and they are you know so i don't really have to complain it's not really it has nothing to do with me and how i feel specifically for myself as long as those guys are getting what they need from it so Mm -hmm. you know i check in with them you know i kind of push them a bit to hey where are you at what are you doing Mm -hmm. you know you're happy and all that sort of stuff you know they go in and out i mean they're teenage boys Mm. living with their mom it's about ready to hit in my opinion i feel like they're gonna hit the biggest wall ever because i you know it's your mom and at the boys have that cycle where they get to that point where they're like, I don't want my mom telling me what to do anymore. And I know this is happening. So I'm just like, well, this is going to happen. Like, I, what are you going to do? I haven't actually had the conversation with my ex about it because I'm just like, it's all starting to bubble. And I've had to like go and do mediations and like sit in and like have a conversation as the dad. But um, yeah, it's going to, you know, he's nearly 15. Like, it's going to really kick off, I think, pretty soon. And mom's getting remarried. Yeah, yeah. But they've all been living together for 
I think four or five years. Some, yeah. some long time. Yeah. He's got three. I'm boys. not saying that's a, a negative thing or a positive oh, thing. Yeah. It's just oh. um it's a it's a shift. Oh, big shift. It's a yeah. huge shift. It's very yeah. significant. Yeah. And if they're already moving into that sort of stage of wanting to sort of distance themselves from yeah. being mothered. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also seeing mum sort of reshaping her own life. Mm. Very tricky. Very yeah. tricky for them to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So your youngest son isn't a big talker, isn't no. forthcoming yeah, with his emotions and requests. Really, he he's very good at talking about things that he that aren't really uh, real. personal. Yeah, personal. Yeah, he can be uh, the the delight of any situation by being charismatic, carrying on, making jokes, you know, doing all sorts of you know, sort of thirteen year old piss takey type things that he does. Fundamentally, I feel like he's just mimicking TikTok most of the time. Oh, don't. I don't. I don't. My 11-year-old nephew's driving me crazy at the moment with TikTok. Uh, I, there's a part of me that really loves TikTok because of, like, the creativity that people are coming up with in that for just being really ridiculous. But at the same time, there's a generation of people, if it's just copycat that's going on, that kind of makes me wonder what originality is. I just haven't touched it with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. I just can't. I can't take on another social media <laughs> But I also feel like it's one of those things that you were saying, you know, that sort of dumbs us down and sucks yeah. life out of life. It does, yeah. Um, and it can be like I, my husband and I love sitting up in bed and watching TikTok cringe compilations. Oh, right, yeah. Like if I can watch 10 minutes of that once yeah. a week, that's perfect for me. So I don't go cringe. <laughs> I go TikToks that could have been Vines. Be sure. So I like those ones because I feel like there's an element of art involved in some of this. Agreed. Right. Where I'm just like, some of these people that are creating things are just so just expression-y. Like the expression is so unique for this sure. time. Right. And so, but some of it's just like not on those ones, but some like TikTok in itself. Because I got the app the other day because oh, I'm like, no. oh my God, I got to keep it. Got to keep track of this stuff. And I was like, I'm watching it. I'm just flicking through it. And mostly it's just kind of like this odd half sexualized weird shit that's going on and i'm like okay well that's generation i guess of like what's happening right now something i'm not really connected to anymore at like 42 years old and if i really get a lot of the the new stuff right um which is cool but um but my kids are doing it so i want to be kind of semi across it like i just say to my oldest the other day i said so um tiktok you know like hours like i can monitor their phones i'm like yeah you guys are on there for like hours a day He's oh no 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 yeah well you know, maybe an hour a day. I said, but uh, I hear there's a lot of uh, naked ladies on there now. He goes, oh yeah, yeah there is. Cause I don't really watch that stuff. And I'm like, well you know, but is it there? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's there. But he has a really funny view on it. He thinks that some of this stuff is just really atrocious. He doesn't think it. He thinks it demoralizes. He actually has an opinion about it. He doesn't like when girls do stuff like this. He thinks that it should be a little bit more controlled have a sense of yourself right so i'm like trying to deal with uh oh, well don't jump to too early perspectives but yeah mm. but he kind of steers clear some of that stuff you know i'm sure he is also a 15 year old boy but you know the whole point is is that he's kind of like has an opinion about it he tries to present something to me in a bit more of a mm. a fairly moderate opinion about well it is but i'm that's not what i'm on there for. i'm not that into yeah, it yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah into it which i think is pretty good although his instagram's a little different instagram <laughs> i find a really like He'll be flicking through Instagram and I'm just like, dude, you know, and I'm like, dude. And he's just Seriously. like, oh, yeah, no, no, don't worry about that, dad. But it's just people post. It's a different currency now, though. I feel like, um, you know, like when I was growing up, it was still 
you know, someone's dad would have a porno under their bed or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And or like a DVD or a magazine, mm. not a not a DVD. It'd be a VHS. A VHS. You yeah, know, yeah. and um, you know, you might be like staying over for a sleepover or whatever, and they're like, oh, I found my dad's porn. You know, yeah. and you sort of watch a bit of it and go, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah what yeah. is that? Yeah. Um, but I feel like, but then you'd think about it a lot. Mm. Like I found myself like being fascinated by it and mm. thinking about it mm. a lot. I feel like now the exposure is so much earlier and so much more frequent mm. that it loses potency. Mm. So I think a lot of parents see it pop up and go, holy shit, like mm. what are my kids seeing? And, mm. and this level of saturation. Mm. Um, but really it's, it's a lot less striking for them. It, it yeah. holds a lot less weight because of the earlier exposure and more mm. frequent exposure. Mm. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So that's where I'm I don't at. know. I'm, I'm right there. Right. Yeah. And so you can see like with anything over time, they say the same thing with um, video games, war based video games. You think about sure. the level of um, sort of shock and horror in movies. Right. And the level of detail that we're getting into with special effects and things like that. It desensitize the desensitization part component of it. But I mean, I have the same analogy for and this is really totally left field, but mobile phones and cars. Right now, yes, horribly distracting and really bad if you don't have self-control. Fundamentally, this all comes down to self-control. But, you know, <laughs> a mobile phone in a car isn't going to kill you. Right. But they're almost at the point, like, especially where we live here in New South Wales, like it's just the fact that it's there. Yeah. They're like, you look at that thing. We're going to we're going to get you, you know, and I'm like, well, at one point in time, there weren't even radios in cars. Right. But now they have all this stuff. And just because some people don't have self-control doesn't mean I don't have the skills to deal with this in a responsible fashion. Yeah. You know, and so like anything over time, you know, you level up, right? And you skill up and your ability to process things in a different way and have a better perspective or a more enlightened approach to dealing with that. And I think the same, I, I kind of think the same thing about, tech, you know, some aspects of technology. So I'm pro-technology, mm. but I'm anti-retarded use of technology. Like not knowing when you are being taken advantage of by that technology or being involuntary or have an issue where you can't control yourself with it, mm. right? Mm. So the, my, my biggest bugbear with people is, is that they walk down the street doing social media in the middle of peak hour. Real social. Yeah. Like I'm just like, why can't we wait? You know, like yeah. I, I went to pull out of the box the other day and there's a bus stop right at the bottom. This was yesterday morning, I think. Um, and as we went to drive out, there's a man. Uh, no, this was uh, this was in the afternoon. It was when the rain was. We didn't have internet the other day, Monday. So we were. Is the afternoon? Is the end of the day? And this guy is standing in the exit of the parking area, with his garbage, uh, with his garbage bags, with his uh, Woolies bags on the ground, and he's standing in the middle of the exit on his phone, doing that business right there, after he had gotten off the bus. And that was the point at which he stopped in the middle of a car exit. And just was waiting there. And then I had to stop and I waited. And I had to wait probably 10 seconds before he realized a giant car is wanting to get out of the way. And I'm like, at what point did these things become so overwhelmingly controlling that you don't even know that the world exists around you? And that's when I start to really question what's happened with these things. Because they're so all-consuming for some people. They're so seductive. Oh, crazy. Everything you want at your fingertips. Yeah. When and we are so instant gratification. Yeah. Um, and I think um, we read some study the other day and it was about young people being asked what they want to be 
when they grow up and it was something like 70% of primary school children said they wanted to be famous on social media. So they wanted to right. be a YouTube star, they wanted mm. to be famous on TikTok or they wanted mm. to be an influencer. Mm. Like <laughs> it is different. It's different. Yeah. It's but it's also just like this is this is what adds value. This is mm. how people are measuring their value. Yeah. Um it's not we're out in the fields how many, you know, corn cobs can we chop yeah. off, the, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's not is our family fed and watered yeah. and sheltered and, you know, it's mm. it's a whole new level of individualization mm. and instant gratification that's just so seductive for us. Mm. And we don't realise what we're missing when we're getting that quick fix. Yeah, or do, and then my, like, do people even care if they're missing anything? Like, that's what I feel like the shift is. is now it doesn't shift even matter. Well. Like, people don't even care about what's happening outside of what, what they're creating and crafting. Um, and the majority of it is false, right? So you're getting a version of something that isn't true to be given, um, as, a, as, a, as a content creator, people often create shit that isn't necessarily their, their true view or true value. Um, they're doing it to generate wealth or whatever they got to do to generate their wealth um, to then give to an audience of people who think that is true because they don't even bother to fact check. They don't even bother anymore to look beyond you know, this sort of Twitter version of the world right and that's sort of short instant gratification thing so that's something that really like spins me out around mm. the shift in society and where we've gone you know it doesn't necessarily spin me out as much that people want to make a career out of some of these things it makes some sense but for the, what reason right and for what rational reason would you do it so the stats just came out around podcasting around um, joe rogan's show um he made 30 million bucks last year doing sure. podcasting insane right it's a content creation platform it's just literally him talking in a room but then there's ads. 30 million other people not making a cent that's right <laughs> well yeah yeah but th that's the whole thing right and so then they start to talk about when you hit a certain point in, in any growth you've just got all this hate that'll come through anyway so it just shuts down a lot of what's going on mm. but the idea that you're reaching for these things right that are actually you know being an influencer although i'd hope that in the next couple of years that that dims out because mm. that's pretty much turning into a nightmare for all influencers that are there. Um, it's pretty rare to be an influencer these days, I think, um, and actually feel like you're being authentic. I think people now question that generally. Yeah. I mean, you also have to be doing content creation. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, across a multitude of platforms. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not an easy job. No, it's very full time. We were talking about um, with my nephew who loves video games and he was talking about, you know, I want to be a streamer, you mm. know, I want to be like, I can't remember what his name is. PewDiePie um, it, or? No, it wasn't PewDiePie. There's another one. He's called like Wolf or something. I don't know. Oh, right. Oh, like a gamer streamer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. And um, my husband was trying to talk to him about the reality of that life. Yeah, you know? right, <laughs> and, right. You know, you think about. Um, how many hours he has to spend mm. at home on his own in front of a screen. Yeah. You know, and we looked it up online. It was something like he spends 60 hours a week playing oh, yeah. video games and just thinking about how lonely that must be. Mm. Yes. In a way. I mean, there's in obviously certain yeah. uh, personalities that are predisposed yeah. and, you know, adaptations that are predisposed to being really more comfortable with that sort yeah. of work. Yeah. But. At some point, I feel like it, it's not just, oh, sick, I get to play video games all day. It, like, mm. sucks the joy out of it and it becomes a job. work. Yeah, a job, yeah. And it becomes, like, I can't stop because this is what people 
are watching me for. This is what people are paying me for. This is, you know. Well, that's what I think a lot of it is, is like <clears throat> people get pulled into that vacuum of, no, I got to keep doing it for this, right? I mean, when I was doing my vlog channel, it was a very big, but it got to the point where like there is still this one guy, no matter what I do, if I post a thing, he's like, where did it go? What happened to it? You mm. know, and I'm, and I'm like, oh man, I don't think I'm never going to bring it back. He's like, no, I'm just playing with you. I know. But like, there's this whole thing where you're like, no, I got to keep going because people want this, you know, kind of a, a thing. And like, it becomes like this. No, I now have to proactively think about how this fits in my life so mm. I can continue to feed a machine. Um, you know, which is, I, that's the one difference I found with this platform is, is like, I, I feel like, this is just sort of a thing, like a conversation, right? Like I don't feel as much around, like I don't really care who's necessarily listening to this as much or that the content fits a particular genre and that people are going to consume it. Either they are or they're not. Mm. It's kind of the attitude I have with a lot of stuff. So this fits more of like my authenticity, which makes it a little bit more fun for me to do. Mm -hmm. um, but like that was like a version of me, a subset. It was all around cycling. It was only a thing where I shared what I was doing with my life when it came to cycling and how I was living that life, you know, and that became like, okay, well, not only do I have to do the cycling, it all kept it all going. And it was just this really weird subset of who I was, which wasn't mm. representative, like actually much beyond just that. So it was like, oh no, like that became a thing. And I, I kind of had that pull, like, no, I got to keep cycling because I gotta keep creating content. I got to keep doing this thing. And it all added up, you know, kind of like it didn't run me out. It didn't burn me out because I basically would have probably kept going for a bit, but I lost my job and reality kicks in. You just don't have life. Mm. You know, you got a, I got a whole life that I live beyond that subset. Mm -hmm. So, so for you, it's more important to have the expression and mm. the outlet and the process of creation than the, the numbers or what comes back to you as a result of yeah. that. Yeah. The yeah. The outflow is more important than the the count yeah. of, of how many people are watching, how many people are. Yeah. I mean, I look at numbers because sure. I'm just curious if things work, but it's more around cause I'm still trying to like create some, not general boundaries, but like, you know, contextualize, you know, this stuff. Like I did one with Phil from the box and it was like the, the title of it, I think is what got most of its attention. It was about, um, corporate, uh, rejection in the title it said how to deal with corporate rejection. Well, I think that that was maybe very, very resonant. resonant. Yeah. And I mm. got this massive explosion of just people pulling that, pulling just through my podcast, which I was like, Oh wow, this is weird. Very abnormal amount of like listens to my podcasts. Was it, it Phil's dulcet tones? Do you think I that really? No idea. Yeah. 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 I, I think it was, I think it's a combination of the, the fact that titles get people in. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I don't go for clickbait. I just try to do it off of what we talked about. Yes. And we talked about like, he's a consultant working in the world where, you know, we could be rejected at any point in time. I'm going through rejection at work. Like it's, it's a thing and you get rejected everywhere. Right. And so how do you deal with that? And so mm -hmm. I kind of, we talked a bit about that and I thought it was a nice thing to have mindset and deal with that in a productive way. Right. And he actually had a very productive way of dealing with all of it. And I was like, oh, that's really good, actually, Phil, like that you're very resilient. Even though you get pissed, pissed off, you're resilient, you know, mm. and you have a way of looking at it and just moving on to the next thing. So that was the basically the title of the podcast. And I think that that, that you know, going back to what we were saying, like that instant gratification, it was enough. And everybody was like, oh, well, this must be very insightful. I have no view. I have no idea how long people listen to any of these things. But uh -huh. um, nevertheless, it was, you know, people started going through my entire catalog to hear, see what I was up to and stuff like that. That's so, great. Yeah, in a way it was good. But I've always, um, there's two, two truths I know about myself. One is I, 
I love making things. I've been a builder since I was very young. I used to take everything apart and put it back together. Anything that's broken, I took it apart and fixed it. And I had a very high hit rate of fixing things that were broken, even things I had no idea how they worked. So I've always been that, had that capability of like, you know, and that fascination of like, oh, that, why isn't that working? And then obsessing over like understanding it and then fixing it and making it work again. So there's that part of me that is, I think, ingrained in my behavior. It's just a thing. And the other part is I half think I'm kind of crazy, right? I feel like I'm often the one that's the the lunatic in a room who has these really outlandish ways of looking at things and then will like kind of be worried about saying them out loud, but then end up saying them anyways because I don't really mind that I'm looked like that I have that. Um and so like those combination things, this that's where this landed in like I often have a lot to talk about and say and have opinions and I've thought about a lot of things, much like taking you know, a CD player apart and putting it back together for my mom, I kind of take my thoughts and my life and all these things that are feeding in from all these different directions apart and piece them back together and make these connections that I'm like, is that really how that works? And then I don't have any really way of saying it to anybody without sounding crazy. Mm -hmm. So then this was like, no, this would be a great way. Put a, put me quick crazy on a microphone and then just start sending out and see if people are interested in it. Mm -hmm. um, because that actually, maybe I'll find, you know, more people that are generally thinking these things or understanding these things. So in a weird way, it's like I finally got to do that um, Christian Slater movie where he makes the rebel radio station back in the day. And that he's driving. not ringing a bell no, for me. I can't. I think it's called Pump Up the Volume, possibly. That but sounds it, like a B-list movie. It was so <laughs> awesome when I was a kid. I wanted to be a rebel radio guy. That's right. what I think what I wanted to do at one point in my life. Okay. So I feel like I get to do it with this, I guess, in a weird go. way. Maybe. Christian Slater. God damn. What happened to that guy? Oh, who knows? He did do a great resurgence in the. Um, My husband would Mr. be able to Robot. tell you what happened to him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Trivia. Yeah. Oh, trivia. Useless trivia. Yeah. So Can't remember where the, you know, colander goes in the kitchen. Oh, right. But can tell you who won the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1984. You know, it's just like. What kind of brain is in there? What's going on? It's incredible. <laughs> and you said, what? Wait, so you did say in the kitchen that. Obviously, he's he was a game show guy. Yeah. So he was when he was at uni, he had like a casual job hosting trivia. Really? <clears throat> like pub trivia. Oh yeah. Okay. Like yeah. not not on the telly. Oh, like right, at the right. local pub. Yeah. Right. But still, you yeah. got to be good to do it. Yeah. He was Write, writing writing the questions yeah, yeah, yeah. is right. is a challenge in itself. Yeah. Uh, and he just has one of those brains that just accumulates information mm. like that and holds information right. like that. And then he um, was finishing uni, so finishing law at uni mm. and having to start basically an unpaid internship, mm. photocopying and stuff yeah, as, right. you yeah, know, yeah. a fresh Just lawyer yeah. out, out of yeah. uni. Um, and he was behind on his rent. He owed his parents money. Right. And he was like, well, I've got to make some money. I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going to apply to be on Wheel of Fortune when they right. did a they did sort of a, a reboot of Wheel of Fortune yeah, in okay. you know 2007 or whatever. Right, it was. yeah. And um he got on the show. Mm. And he I think he snuck his way in cuz he was basically like, "Oh yeah, my grandma and I used to watch Wheel of Fortune right, and right. you know, I used to yell out top dollar when I was a kid and stuff. It was yeah. all bullshit. Yeah, he sure. made this shit up yeah, to yeah, get on because he yeah. knew what the directors wanted to hear yeah. and the sort of person and the story they wanted on the show. Yeah. It's clever. Yeah. It's very clever. Yeah. <clears throat> so he gets on Wheel of Fortune and he spins up quarter of a million dollars and he 
Well, he actually he spun up two hundred thousand dollars, but then plus other cash he'd won yeah. in other games. Yeah, and he he won. Wow. Um. So with that money, some of that mm. money, he he bought a unit. Yeah, yeah. Um. And he also decided to take him and his mates over to the states for a bit of a holiday. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while they were over there, um, the boys signed him up for The Price is Right with Drew Carey <laughs> right. in the States. Yeah, yeah. And they went, come on down, Carl Young. What? And he, saw the price. he got on The Price is Right with Drew Carey and he won the showcase. Shut up. And they basically said, we can't ship all the prizes back to Australia. Yeah. Are you happy with the cash amount <laughs> that it's worth? And he was like, fuck yes. Yeah, why not? Um, so he came back to the to Australia. He went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Hot Seat. Wow. He didn't right. win on that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a few years ago we bought our our house and he hadn't done game shows in, mm. in ages because he'd been, um, you know, busy actually being a lawyer and right, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And uh, we so we bought this house in the September and in the December one of the front walls started caving mm. in on itself. Wow, great. Yeah. Um, thanks, Nathan Laotzi, for that yeah. one. <laughs> uh, no, it's not his fault. Yeah. Um, and I said to Carl, like, I was like, shit, we have just, like, bought a house. We don't have any spare cash. Yeah. I was like, what game shows can you go on? <laughs> Is that legit what you said? Yeah. I was like, start applying because we need $16,000 to fix this wall. Wow. He got on the chase. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. And his team won. Wow. And he won $16,000. Like the exact amount. Pretty much oh, exact gosh. amount. Um, And so that paid for the – Paid for the what wall at the front of our thing. house, and most recently, a couple of years ago, um, when I was pregnant with our daughter, he went on Family Feud with his family, right. Oh, right. and they won the first the first night. Um, and is then they a, didn't win the second so, night. Okay, is his family good at this as well, or is it just him? Uh, I'd say he's, he's the yeah, right. yeah. he's the cream of the crop, but they're pretty good. If, right, if right. we sit down with the Sunday trivia from the paper, yeah. I feel like an absolute numpty because I'm right. sitting there in the corner and they're just like pew, 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 yeah, pew. Just you going know. for it. Oh, cool. So it could be like a family thing. That they're they're all really incredibly, incredibly yeah. smart in that particular way. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, because I think it's a – I'm not saying – I, I don't want to say, oh, they're all very intelligent because right. I'm also intelligent yeah, so yeah. is my family. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think so is everyone in their own way but they've just got that brain. Yeah. They've just got that trivia yeah. accumulation of disparate mm. knowledge, disparate facts mm. and they can just bring it up when they need to. Whereas yeah. I, I struggle to remember the name of like a singer of a song that I love, you yeah. know. It's like, yeah. I don't know, it's not relevant. I just know that I love that song and the way yeah. it makes me feel, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's his that's that's that his jam. Insane, to yeah. be honest. I don't think he'll be allowed on any other game shows because he just not? keeps going on and winning. I think they've cottoned on. He's just too good. <laughs> He's just too good. They're like we're hemorrhaging cash oh over here God. at Channel Seven. But the whole point of it. Okay, so there's two questions I have. One, I've heard that if the sh you can go on, they do game shows like just they film them all the time. So you, like they're not live and they're all they're all recorded. And that only if it goes to air did I hear that you get paid. True. So that is true. So with okay. Wheel of Fortune, when he was really struggling mm. um, financially, he was really concerned that it wasn't going to air. Uh, and it actually got axed the week after oh shit, his yeah. episode aired. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, if it didn't go to air, you don't get the cash. Right. Yeah, so that's a legit thing. That's all part of the deal. So yeah. Gotta, My understanding is they air 
they air every episode they film. It's not like they uh, film 40% more than they're going to air. Right, right. Um, unless there's something goes dramatically wrong, but I would imagine they would mm. do a re-film, like they'd restart uh, the shoot. Okay. Right. Um, that's my understanding, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm not really in that world. Uh, but, yeah. they. Wow. But then if the show's cancelled, if the – yeah. If the channel, mm. you know, the the TV company decides that's it, mm. it's not rating high enough and yeah. they've oh, got 12 yeah. extra episodes filmed that's it. that yeah. don't get aired, that's it. No, good, great way to manage your budget too. Oof. That'd be that's so right. Shit, oh, we've got man. a few winners coming yeah. up. Let's yeah, ax let's the show. Let's ax the show. <laughs> We're going to have to pay out. Let's get rid of this thing. We're not yeah. doing well. Oh, yeah, that'd be shit. Yeah, mm. so I did hear that. Uh, and then, um, I don't, like, it, it couldn't possibly be. <laughs> Like how, how? What kind of a lawyer is he? Is he good at it? He's a criminal prosecutor oh, for right. the state. Yeah, yeah, so he's is, very good. That's insane. So, yeah. so this is what? What do you think he likes more? Game shows or being a criminal being lawyer? Being a lawyer. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Definitively. So that's his thing. That's like. Yeah. This is just the side hustle. He's. he's oh, yeah. Quick it's cash. not even a hustle anymore. Um, he's an incredibly focused driven and ethical person. Yeah, okay. Um and really believes in the legal system mm. to a point and is just incredibly passionate about it. Wow. Yeah, so always wanted to be a prosecutor, didn't want right. to be a scummy defense lawyer. Right, right, right. Very right. very ethical. Huh. Didn't want to be defending someone he thought might be guilty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hung out with a guy that was one of those guys. Yeah. And, uh, it's a different he had a different, a different yeah, approach and you've got to compartmentalize mm. it somehow to get mm. through it, I think. Yeah, he had just had crazies. Not like in-depth stories. He wasn't telling me secrets, but he just would kind of situationally, top level, just say it's pretty intense. Yeah. Like the amount of stuff I have to do and jump through in order to go through what I have to do. I was like, wow, how are you doing this? And, you know, for him it was money, you know, just like the money he yeah. was making. And I was like, wow, that's just insane to me. But, you know, yeah. he... um The prosecuting side is very, you know, very different compared to the it's very side. different i mean mm. it's not without ethical challenges oh 100 yeah, uh yeah. and i think dealing with any area of criminal law you bring home a lot of uh vicarious trauma mm. to to a degree mm. Mm. so yeah a lot of a lot of really sad yeah very tragic very awful mm. um crimes mm. Uh, and I think you really do have to be a certain type of person to be able to endure that. Mm. Um, someone very centred and constant mm. and level-headed uh, that also has a partner that listens for yeah. a job, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's I think true. it's, it's yeah. having that balance in mm. your life mm. um, because it, I couldn't do it. I couldn't yeah. do it. That's not me. I'm too far on the emotional feeling mm. side yeah. and not far enough on the thinking, analysing side. Yeah. Um, I can't separate feelings from doing oh, very okay. easily. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is a slippery slope for a mm. therapist. True, yeah. <laughs> um, to be able to be really present and mm. with someone and uh. in – in their stuff with them, mm. but also hold myself together yeah. and not lose myself in that and not become enmeshed mm. with them because that's not healthy for them and it's not healthy for me. Yeah. Um, Gosh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, I think we find the careers that align mm. with the qualities or the adaptations that we have. Mm. Um, 
it doesn't mean it's not challenging, mm. but we're just more predisposed to certain jobs and doing things with our lives than others. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that is, yeah, gosh. So, so therapist. Yeah. So I'm a sex therapist and relationships counselor. So mostly couples at the moment, mostly couples counseling, usually um, focused on sex and intimacy. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And how did you find yourself in that above any other therapy? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer. Right. I just decided to marry one instead. Right. right. Um, so I get to sort of live vicariously through him. Um, I was always really interested in the topics that people shied away from, you Mm. know, impolite dinner party conversation, Mm. sex, Mm. politics, religion, Mm. all those things that people would, don't talk about that here or we don't talk about that now or not in in the company of such and such. Um, Always very fascinated by that. Mm. Uh, And when, so I started doing psychology at uni Mm. Didn't love it. Too sciencey for me. Too mm. far in the thinking, doing, yeah. analyzing, and not far enough in the heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I changed to social work. Did first year social work. It wasn't resonating with mm. me. I thought I'm going to end up, you know, in a maybe aged care home as a recreation right. officer or something, which right. is fine, but yeah. didn't feel like it would be particularly rewarding for mm. me. And I found social work had a little bit of a religious vibe to it, and that's oh, very, right. very not me. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people that I was doing my course with had very strong religious values and it just wasn't feeling like a good fit for me. Mm. Yeah. Um, I took a year off. I went overseas. Mm. I did some nannying. Right. I was okay. a nanny for a Spice Girl, which is a story oh. for another day. Wow. Um, wow. So I, live, I lived with Jerry Halliwell for yeah. a while, which is like my brush with fame. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, and I came back and I decided to start um, so social science, which mm. I call sociology. Yeah. Um, and major in gender studies because I thought, no, I'm really interested in sex and gender. Mm. So all the stuff I'd done in social work and my um, sort of earlier studies, I'd always ended up doing something around like youth sexuality or right. trans health or, you know, just right. something around sex, mm. sexuality and gender. So I finished my degree and I decided to do a master's in sexual health mm. um, and I thought, all right, looks like I'm probably going to become an academic. Mm, I really right. just want to, I'm hungry for more info right? or s- something, something yeah. to study for the rest of my life essentially. Oh, wow. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so part of the master's we had to do a, a sexual health counselling unit mm. and I was like, oh, I'll just get through this bit and, you know, move on mm. with my life and I loved it. It really resonated with me. Mm. At the time while I was doing my master's, I was working for population health. So I was doing a lot of um, public health campaign stuff, right, okay. which I really liked because it yeah. was around HIV and STIs right. and that was sort of, you know, mm. in my wheelhouse. Yeah. But doing public health work, I found, you know, ha- having a population-based approach, I wasn't seeing the on-the-ground effect. I wasn't able to feel the human aspect of it. Right. So when I did this counselling unit, I was like, oh, the penny dropped. Right. And I thought this is what I'm after is this one-on-one or, yeah. you know, more intimate 
personal work, it's still in the field of sexual health and gender and sexuality that I'm really interested in. Mm. But I can feel the work landing. I can feel my impact. Mm. It's not, you know, throwing a chlamydia campaign out there and hoping that, you know, people get tested more often. Yeah. Um, And so I went further and and became qualified as a a counsellor. Right. So, yeah, I'm basically a a counsellor that specialises in in Mm. sex and intimacy. Mm. However, it just cannot be separated from our lives in that neat little box. Mm. You know, people think they're coming to talk about, you know, we don't have sex very often anymore and we end up talking about a deep, seated yeah. resentment towards each other because mm. of x y and z that happened or yeah. multiple affairs or you know whatever it is yeah, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me or uh there's a real power play between the two of them mm. that manifests across their whole life yeah that they think the issue is yeah. oh we're not having sex often enough mm. but really there's a whole dynamic that's contributing to that that mm. we also need to explore yeah and i absolutely love it mm. Yeah, it's I love it. The dynamic between a couple, the narratives they tell each other yeah. and maintain between mm. the two of them, it's mm. like they're in cahoots. Yeah, yeah. But they're also frustrated yeah. that they're in that position. Mm. Um, the way that couples are attracted to each other mm. when they have the characteristics that most aggravate them mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. other people. Mm but are also the characteristics that they need to grow into themselves. For me, my husband's a lot more relaxed than I am. He's Mm. able to switch off beautifully. Mm. He can come home and he can go, oh, I'm glad I'm home, and he can sit down and veg out. Yeah. That frustrates the hell out of me because I'm like, the baby's finally asleep. We've got to get this stuff done, you know. And that's what I need to learn. Yeah, right. His job is to teach me. How to grow into relaxation yeah. a little bit more and step into that a little mm. bit more, mm. you know. And there's things that I can teach him about emoting a little bit more, sure. about being vulnerable, mm. about um, not succeeding at everything, and right. it's still being okay, mm. you know. But these are the issues that couples come mm. into the room with. Yeah, you know, yeah, he yeah. works too yeah. hard. He's, you know, he's not here. He's not home, yeah. or um, you know, she just doesn't show me any affection. Mm. She, you know, pulls away. She, whatever it is, it's actually learning what are the patterns that we're doing, what are the narratives we're telling ourselves, and what do we need to learn from them mm. rather than rather than how do we need to change our partner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's absolutely magical. Mm. Um, I love it. Yeah. And well, I've just been talking for the last 10 minutes. No, no, non-stop. no, no, no. I mean, to, to be honest, it's awesome. It's, uh, it was one of the things that when, when you said, oh, you know, I heard your podcast and, and then you said what you did, I was like, oh, my God, it's like totally interesting to me, only in that as a result of doing this podcast, I really get a lot out of having conversations with people. I always have. And I've always been somebody who at, at a party um, will sit down and end up getting really deep with someone rather mm. than just canvassing the whole night. Mm. And I'll spend a little bit of time talking to people, but I always found myself at some point in time giving myself to someone. And uh, and I always got a lot from that. I always mm. felt like I had a great night, even though people were like, oh, don't, were you there? And I was like, yeah, I was, but you know, I was obviously invested in something else. And so like, there's this part of me that also really likes that concept of like, I get a huge kick personally 
from spending time with people mm-hmm. and like really investing in the the detail of what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. and what they're thinking about and how they're going about it. Um, you know, and I'm in the middle of this almost kind of personal experiment in my mind of like kind of uh, thinking about everything. So you were talking about, um, you know, in relationships, let's say like whereby you might be saying, oh, you know, some, you know, my partner is this way or, you know, this is a particular thing. And then you have that opinion of who they are. But the thing about it is, it was really weird, is I've been thinking about how um, oftentimes those, those, are, those are just someone else's. They're just putting that on you, even though that you, projections. Don't even, you don't even see yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and so now I'm spending a lot of time thinking about like how all of these things exist at the same time, right? And so, yes, I, that may exist, and that might be something that could exist at the exact same time. It's, an, it's a completely acceptable thing, right? And so it's fine mm-hmm. that that exists. I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about it. But, you know, how I see myself also exists. But then I saw this really interesting thing around, like, but even a stranger on the street sees me and forms an opinion about me. There's millions of things that exist, but there's so many versions of who I am. And that kind of idea that it doesn't, nothing really matters so much as, like, the thing that's happening in the moment and in that connection point where you're truly just saying, like, let's just be vulnerable about this shit. Let's, like, kind of really be honest and connected. Like, I find that I can do that with a lot of different people. And, you know, express a level of vulnerability um, in a way whereby then it opens a door, you know, for, you know, more of that it doesn't be crazy deep or whatever. But I find more often than not that I just enjoy it too much, you know, like in a way where I'm like, yes, this is what it means to kind of be here. You know, what is it about, you know? So, yeah. So, like, when you said that you do therapy and all this sort of stuff, like, man, I was just like, oh, my God, I had no idea. This is so interesting to mm. me because in a way this you know, I hope that and there's an aspect of what this podcast does. It is a level of therapy for people to think up from, give them better ways to think about life, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of people are really stuck in their lives and, you know, they kind of generally can grind out, you know, we all hit those points. I've hit those points, you know, and sometimes you need just a little piece of fruit to give you something more to go, Oh shit, maybe I should look at this and maybe I should be different about something or that's a good catalyst for a change or mm-hmm. a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason, you know, people get to points where they feel really stuck mm, yeah. and they can't see how they can break out of it. Yeah. And there's a really good reason why they've gotten to that point. There's yeah. a really, there's always a really important reason mm. that they've made the decisions they have and told the stories to themselves that they have to get themselves to that point. It served a purpose, mm. um, but it's not serving them anymore. That's right. Yeah. And so it's how can we sort of really bring those stories and patterns to light, Mm. deconstruct them Mm. and work out how we can interrupt them to get you out of that stuckness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But in order to do that, I have to really be with them in the stuckness for a while. And I think sometimes people think they're going to come to a session and it's going to be like, oh, okay, here's the problem that you're having. Let me give you a six point universal guide to solving this issue. It's not. It's sitting in the stuck mud together for yeah. a while. Yeah. And looking at it real hard from a lot of different angles mm. until we can work out what's going on, why we got to this point, mm. and how we can interrupt that cycle and start learning some new skills to to open up an avenue to to move things forward again. Yeah. 
So it it can take a little bit longer than than people expect, mm. but it's much more, much more sustainable. Mm. If people came to me and I said, "Oh, you're not having sex very often," okay, well, um, let's do a weekly date night. Yeah. I want you to give each other a massage. Mm. I want you to buy a vibrator. I want mm. you to buy some lingerie, and I want you to have a bath every evening. Yeah, people might do it, but nothing's going to change. That's right. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Nothing's yeah. going to change. Yeah. And there's often a bit of disappointment in people when they realise they actually have to do a lot of work that I'm, I can't do the work for them. Mm. Um, but they're going to have a much better, more sustainable, more true outcome mm. if we take that approach. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, but like you said, sometimes people don't realise that there's a different reality mm. for their partner. Yeah. That sounds really obvious, but mm. it's really difficult for people to see. Mm. There's this saying, um, I'm going to use marriage as as an example, although obviously not every couple is married, but um, I think the saying is uh, when we got married, we became one and I'm the one. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And people think I just, my partner needs to change for this to work. Mm. They need to become more like me. Yeah. And the partner is thinking, but no, you need to see it more from my perspective. You need to be more like me. Mm. And the idea that two realities and two truths, Mm. at least two, (laughs) can coexist Mm. is a real mindfuck for a lot of people. Oh, insane. And being able to help people cross the the bridge Mm. to their partner's world, Mm. they don't have to fully understand it. They just have to acknowledge it and see that it's a different perspective and yeah. know that they can cross back across to their own world yeah. mm. is, can be a transformative experience for yeah. people. I think So that, that's the approach that I sort of take. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's a weird place to be when, you know, you live with yourself, right? So, like, I often, because um, I don't know, if, did you catch the thing? I keep talking about this all the time, but there's this Twitter post about the guy. He posted that not everybody has an inner dialogue yes so and one, people's minds were blown blown away <laughs> but 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 for me it was like this almost it wasn't that it was totally shocking that people don't actually like talk talk to themselves in their mind and then other people have you know abstract thought that they turn into dialogue or whatever um it was the idea that it actually explained why so often there's a disconnect when you might be talking to people that they as you're saying things that they might be visualizing these things versus dialoguing and you might have that moment where I'm like, did you quite, and you might have to rephrase it and talk about it in a different way. And it really kind of all of a sudden kind of cemented this idea that like everybody only sees the world from their view, right? Fundamentally, your whole life consists of what you're looking at. You don't get to just, you never get to check out. It's a hundred, a hundred all the time. And, and even when you're sleeping, like even in dreams, you're still like on, you know, like everything's constantly on. So the idea that if you can actually begin to accept that everything can be going on, right. And seeing all these things happening, it's, it's, it's okay that all these things can exist, Mm -hmm. you know? So like right now I'm having this thing with Haley. Right. And so she's, um, so we had a miscarriage just before, uh, just in the new year, whatever, or beginning of the new year. And it was a big deal, like totally disruptive to her and her life. But it has been the biggest transformational moment Uh. for her ever in her entire life because everything became unstuck for her. Everything that she had been going through, uh, that she'd been denying and placing in this cupboard of just, uh, no, no, it's too hard, I'll deal with it 
and you know, I never will deal with it. I'll hide it in the cover. The door got taken off is what I said to her. The door is no longer in existence. And everything now is in your face. All these things that you never thought you'd ever have to deal with or you never dealt with are now things that are on the forefront of your mind. And so she's, you know, she's about ready. She's going to go see a therapist um, this Friday. Um, right. And we've been working through a lot of stuff, but you know, oftentimes everything manifests from a self-confidence and worry and then an irrational set of thinking that exists to the point where it's like, well, not necessarily irrational. Oh no, no, it's but rational for her. For it's her. Yeah, I'm not. I don't mean like that. I mean, but like, not useful. Yes, not useful. Yeah. And so for her, she's like, she's mad at herself for those thoughts. And so I said, well, it doesn't matter. They're irrational uh-huh. in that sense, but they mm. still are okay. Mm. It's okay because all these things can exist. It's not like you just get to turn and pick and choose and you know the stuff. But you know, we often talk about worries, and I said, well. Just as much as that outcome and worry could take place, the exact opposite outcome could take place. You know, both these things could happen, but your trajectory towards them is going to be guided by the decisions you make on the way there. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, you know, you could worry that the negative or something bad might happen, but you should also then be worrying just as much about the other thing happening that could be good. Because the fact that you give one more precedent over the other just means that you're just fixating on something instead of actually being productive in your thought process. You know, and and maybe if you start to think about both at the same time as a trigger to kind of say, well, yes, I'm super negative about or whatever this is. And I also could think about this to give me counterbalance. You know, it's just like, I just feel like, yeah, more times than not, it's just from your eyes and you're just like, because she's really upset about like, you know, that she can't control the these things just unraveling out. And I just said, yeah, you know, I said, yeah. we'll see how we go and supporting you. I said, but at a certain point you're going to have to go, if you can't deal with it, well, you're gonna have to go talk to somebody and they're going to have to give you stuff. But it was the exact same thing. She goes, I, I don't, what if they call me crazy? Would I get there? You know, like, what if they put me like, everything's about, what if I get on medication? What about, and I said, but all these things could happen. The fact that they could, doesn't mean it's a deterrent to not. So therefore we must, go forward and we must look at these things and when and if those things come up, we will deal with those. That's not the problem. The goal is that you want to be and know who you are and mm. more control of you. It's on the back of this whiteboard. It's written down as a goal for this year is to figure out who she is and do this. I said, so this is all about getting to that point, right? And so if we can help you get there by any means necessary, it doesn't matter what you think might happen. It's the act of doing it and going through with it and accepting that this is going to be it. And we'll go there, you know, like that's the point of it, you know, and so, but as much as I love her, you know, she, she will be just forever in a world of anxiety. And I had to say that to her the other day. It's like, I think you're always going to have anxiety. I don't think that it will automatically go away, you know, and then she'll message me and say, I'm having a really good day today. I'm like, oh, great. Good. Yeah. And then she'll get home and she'll be tired and then something and hungry. And then she'll go, oh. She's really upset now. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, oh, my anxiety came back. And I'm like, and there's a pattern, you know, it's like, well, you're tired and you're hungry and, you know, and then like, you know, with women, you get your period and then hormones kick in and things happen. I said, you're always going to have a level of anxiety. I don't think that that will always just, you're not going to magically just never have it again. You might be slightly wired that way from your life, but you know, you, what you can do is figure out how to build a toolbox to help you work on these things and be stronger about them. And, you know, that's time. And, and there's, there's something like that for each of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's going to be things in our lives that don't really serve us, Mm. um, that we can't necessarily fix, Mm. but we can manage them better. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that comes back to, 
I, I work from a um, approach called Imago therapy with a lot of our couples mm. and um, that approach speaks a lot to our formative years right, of life, right, our yeah. childhood experiences mm. um, and that we're, we sort of adapt in ways through our childhood based on our experiences and caregiving mm. and um, love that we receive and the ways we receive that, we develop certain adaptations and we're attracted to people who have adapted in opposite ways. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. um, you know, my my partner, um, you know, the expression of a lot of emotion wasn't particularly well received in his home, mm. whereas for me we're a very expressive right. family. Yeah. And so he's attracted to me because I have the qualities that he lost. Mm. And I'm attracted to him because he has some of the qualities that I might have lost through my formative experience. Right. It doesn't mean we had bad parents. We had yeah. great parents. Yeah, yeah. But we adapt different ways depending on the context in which we're raised. Mm. So um, there's there's going to be something for everyone mm. that's usually um, present in our partners that yeah. we really struggle with. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what that is for you and Haley, yeah, but no, I imagine sure that I yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, some of the things that she really struggles with are strengths that you have, mm. and you can see like, but you just you just do this, mm. and like you just you just do it this way, and that's how yeah. it's done. Um, but it's something that she will continue to try to grow into mm. with your help if she's willing. Yeah, and it sounds like she is. Yeah, and she in that process. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It's that lifelong management yes. and, and movement towards wholeness mm. rather than great. Now you're fixed. Yeah. You're whole and complete. Yeah. I just, yeah. It's, I find it interesting that people think that that's the way that it is. You, yeah. You never, it's an endless journey. Yeah. You know, like one of my, like, like I'm trying, I'm dipping into a lot of philo philosoph uh, philosophical thinking and really kind of wrap my head around some stuff. And one of the things that I often really struggle with is the idea that we didn't get the choice to be here, right? Like our parents chose for us to be here and we just arrived and we're expected to just, I don't know, right? Adapt. Like, I, well, yeah. But, but then circum your circumstances really narrate the future of your ability to, to survive this whole life, right? Like, you know, the lifelong... Like, <laughs> Initially, like we were doing this thought thing where I looked back at like um, the 1780s and the 1680s and the average lifespan. It was like into like the 20s and 30s, right? Super low. And the, the life you live didn't change for your entire life. You do one thing for your entire life, right? And you literally go out and pick corn all day for every day. Yeah. And like but you're only was, doing it for 15 years and then you're dead. But that's right. But, yeah. but that was it. That was the extent of your life and then your generations were doing it, right? Um, but now we live well past our 80s and you're like, you you literally from the time you're 18, uh, if you don't go to uni or you do go to uni, then there's another four to whatever years, depending on what you get into, there's a cliff where you just, that, that's it. That's the life. And you now have to figure out how to go for 60 plus years um, be, beyond your own family. Like that, like that, the origin story and all the things of your formative years, like that's it. And I'm just like, we never... It's really weird that you you kind of arrive and you never really get the opportunity to like choose that. <laughs> you you get choices on the way, but sometimes you're just hamstrung by where you came from. So then all of a sudden, you know, this really weird narrow path becomes your life. And uh, yeah, it's a real struggle sometimes for me when I think about my existence, who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing. I often try to contrast that with the opposite, which is it's it's about the impact in in the moment that I'm in. So whatever I'm doing, whether I'm in it or not, you know, what I put into that is what matters, right? And so if I'm 
being a shithead that day and I'm not doing it. I can tell when I'm not doing it. I can see what happens in other people's eyes. I can feel the energy shift in a room. I know when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, therefore, when I get into anything and whether I've had a good morning or a bad morning, whatever it is, my thing, I got to get over my shit and put my effort in so that I know that at least in today, because I don't know what tomorrow is going to be, at least in today, I did what I was doing, which made me feel like I had a moment, something that was of value to not just myself, but the people around me and the things we were doing. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, fundamentally, we're all in this like really straightforward projection of just, all right, just keep going, you know, like get to that point where is it all over, you know, like at that point. And, and then the opposite of being put on the planet, I think about the end of it all, which I'm totally fine with, to the point now where I've got a running joke that I've just told my oldest son that, you know, 65, put me down, that's it. Like, well, let's be done. I don't really know that there's much more I'm going to offer at that age. Like, what am I going to keep doing? You know, because my really? biggest, well, no, not, I say this tongue in cheek, but it, I don't, my, one of the things I don't want is I don't want to be any more, like, I don't want to be less than this right? My, my cognitive ability. I don't want to be wheeled into a room for a wedding because I'm just old and being held on to because people can't let go or whatever. Like I really fear this idea that I'm just going to be, you know, just some old guy. And if I lose my mind and my ability to be who I am, because you know, that can happen. That is uh, a fear. Not, I don't even, I'm not going to call it a fear. It's just a reality. I don't want to exist for who I, I want to be. I'd rather not be alive kind of thing. And I'm okay with that. I don't mind. I, I, I mean, I agree with the sentiment that I don't want to be, you know, nonverbal and not yeah. really able to process things and, yeah, yeah absolutely put a pillow over my yeah. face. Um, but I also wonder, you know, you saying less than this, sort of quantifying yeah. um, cognitive function. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I need to operate, right? Like I need to be able to take everything in and do it. And if I diminish, then I feel like what I offer, like, okay, so I said, you know, like the whole 65 thing, absolutely not a real thing. I would love to be a grandfather. I would love to pass on and have grandchildren and, and continue this and give this beyond my children into their children and all of that sort of stuff. So I know that I have value beyond that. But there's two parts to the problem. One, I don't have relationships with my grandparents, and I never, 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 never did. So I don't really know old people and, and, and all that. I don't really get it. Um, so there's that black hole of my sort of thing. And Here's a hot tip. They're people, but I they're know, old. I know, I know. And, I don't, and it's not that when I'm around them I have a problem. It's just that I don't have It's not exposure. in your it's experience. Not, yeah, it's not in my experience. So I often think about, you know, the sort of – oh, Maybe it's my problem, but, or it is my problem, but I hear the horror stories about, you know, that end of life, right? And sure. I don't like what those sound like. It really isn't a thing I want to be a part of. I'd rather have control of it. And I'd rather be able to say, you know what? Like, you know, if at this point it is this, then that's the time. Like, we should all be okay with that. You know, the running, the, the punchline to the 65 thing is, is that the reason I've said it is because if my children and well, technically Haley's 10 years younger than me. If, if they all are still dependent on me to survive, then I failed, right? You should be independent of me. You should be able to stand on your own two feet and run your gambit in the way that you should. I should have helped you get there. You should have been able to do what you got to do. So if you still need me and feel like, you know, I need you to be alive so that I can continue to exist as a person, then maybe I haven't done my job. And that was kind of what I, you know, I've kind of feel like it's like, 
my impact is, you know, maybe not what I thought it was to them, that they're codependent on me in a way. Mm. Um, not that that will be the case. I'm fairly confident my kids will be fine and all of this. And that's why it doesn't, it's a hollow statement, but it's more to make them think as well. Like, well, wh- who are you going to be, you know, beyond this? And what does it mean to you to become an adult and go off and create your adult life? And what is that going to do for you? Um, because for me, it was, you know, kind of, they, I just got dropped in the deep end and just like, let's just keep swimming, buddy. You'll get there one day. And, uh, that was kind of what I was left with, build it mm-hmm. up and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my kids, you know, it's different cause I'm far more active than my parents were in my own life. So, you know, my hope and desire is that, uh, I just don't become really weird and like broken when I'm older, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. I don't- so it's important to be able to, um, support, provide. Mm. Um, but then the other side to that is sort of what I'm hearing um, is that it's also important to you to sort of be in control of yourself. Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Is the flip side of that maybe like a fear of being vulnerable or needing? I don't know. If, I, I think it's the, the, the literal black and white opposite of just the un, not being able to control like having an incontrollable component of who I am, right? Something that's uh, out of control, um, that I'm not aware of. You know, that idea is that is sounds scary to yeah. have part of yourself that's out of control. Yeah, and unnerving. You know, it's like the idea of dementia spins me out. Like that is just an absolute. That is, my dad has PTSD, so he he literally from Vietnam. I spent my entire life with my dad unknowingly just I just thought he was a prick right and it's not that I had a bad relationship as such but he was he was a kind of a typical boomer dad type thing right he was worked all the time not really active in my life a little bit active here and there hard edge flipped out real easy kind of thing um and it, when I moved to Australia in 2001 like that year or just before that you know my dad calls me up and he's stuttering on the phone and he's a total mess it basically told he just came out of a mental hospital PTSD, finally admitted it from Vietnam, all this unraveling had taken place. So all of a sudden this guy was this whole new version of him. And ever since then, I've been kind of, I've had a very different relationship with my dad, but only in that it's just already really rubbish anyways, but in the communication side, but this sort of idea that he went from, you know, probably, and, and still is probably one of the most, I, I think deepest thinking people I've come across to being not only the deepest thinker, but also the most broken person, I, people I know mentally, um, you know, kind of really jars my, you know, sort of like my view of the world, right? Because all of a sudden it's like, it, it could, anyone could be broken, right? Um, from any, you know, one thing, any like trauma is trauma, right? And the breadth of what that is, is can be minor or very drastic, right? Um, so yeah, so I'm very aware of like the fragility of, mm. you know, my mental, capability in my state so therefore if at any point that goes like i find like i kind of i guess i've drawn a line in the sand around what that means to be here on the planet which Mm -hmm. is insanely deep by the way right now (laughs) i just realized how crazy that is but yeah it's kind of like a line in the sand i guess is what i've done for myself i don't know if that's good or bad i'm not fearful of it i just don't like that it could exist Mm -hmm. that reality Mm -hmm. for you and also the people that you love yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't. And, the, and seeing the impact that that could have yeah. on them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the way that might affect them. Yeah. And talking well. about it, I, I think it very much probably has to do with the fact that my dad's like that. Look, I don't like mm-hmm. how that's affected my family on my mom. Cause I have two half sisters that 
are not doing that, you know, have their own issues with my dad. But, um, yeah, that it has, it has a big flow on effect when people break down. So maybe I think that's probably mostly it actually. I don't know if I've ever thought it has about a flow on effect when people break down like that, where it's an, it's, it's un, oh. unfixable, you know what I mean? So like that idea, like, I guess that fits with the, I guess the concept of like dementia or that sort of un, that, that broken concept, right. Where things are, you can't unwind from that. And you're the little boy that takes things apart and puts them back That's together right. again and fixes them. Yeah, I guess that is true. Huh. Yeah. Well there, that's interesting in itself. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for pointing that out as well. Yeah, and this is something that is the the ultimate unfixable breaking, yeah. as you sort of describe it. Yeah. So that's the scary thing for you is that there's no putting it back together. Yeah, by me at least. And how yeah. helpless that is. Yeah. Or can feel. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. That's pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> that's neat, though. I mean, yeah. it actually is kind of an, yeah. I would, I know it's me, right? Inside of all of this sort of fear, right? Of like whatever this is, but the placement of that, which is a a weird thing to have started the conversation around with, like liking to fix things and you know take things apart. The fact that that in itself could actually be the the truth of why. Mm, that's pretty fun, there's, and and that's why I say there's a good reason mm. that we fear the things we fear. Mm. There's a really good reason why we adapt the way we adapt, mm, mm. you know, yeah. this yeah. experience, early experiences with, with your dad mm. and maybe in a way you had a sense as a child that mm. there was something in him that was a little broken. Oh, no, no, that's you, true. You did yeah, have a yeah, sense as a child. Yeah, you could tell that something uh-huh. was off, but we didn't know what it was. Like I would never have known what it was, mm-hmm. right? It's only in my adult life that you unpack something like this and you go, all right, well, hold on. And then you go and you read about stuff about, you know, why my mom was the way – she was, she was with him, but like, um, this is so divorced at four months old. So like when I was four months old, my parents separated, wow. but my dad remarried at nine months old to my stepmom. Yeah. Like, so there's like this really weird pattern. I had an, a mother identity problem. This is a really fun one. Sure. So like I told my mom, she wasn't my mom because, um, let's see, three years. So when I was probably about um, oh, two and a bit, my stepmom was pregnant with my sister and so I looked at my mom and said, well, you're not my mom because she has a baby. She's got a her. baby in her tummy. And my mom said, oh, my God. She told me she was devastated. So she went and found photos of her pregnant with me to prove that she was my mom because that's the kind of mind I had. The, that logic made sense to me, which is interesting. Sure. And um, so, yeah, so, like, there's always been that, you know, my mom to the side, my dad. My dad has always been, like, that, you know, solid rock kind of person. But in a weird way, I always knew he was a bit – so many things like so then he was going to get divorced when i was 11 from my stepmom then he got back together with her and then they got divorced when i was 13 like so many dramas like he's he if i really break down him he's always been like i guess tormented you know never never content right so in a weird way it really actually sums up probably a lot of the whole you know the concept that the one person i see as you know Weird, and I don't know why I see him as one of the most interesting people, but it's probably because I just spent hours talking to a madman effectively, which is kind of crazy. Um, but the way he pulls it all together is just beyond, I feel like it's beyond what most people do, mm. which is really weird. Um, but mm-hmm. he pulls information in that I've, I've never come across anybody that does what he does with. And things. you admire that about Oh, I admire him. it incredibly. Yeah. It's to the point of like, you know, like in those 
brilliantly crazy people kind of things. You're just like, wow, like, how did you piece this together? Where are you from? Yeah, exactly. But then at the same time, he's the same guy. Incredible trauma. He'll tell me, yeah, I can't go out the front door without my gun to get my mail because I don't want the aliens to get me, you know? And you're just like, what the fuck is that? Mm. And it took me a minute to get that statement, you know, because he's like, it's not that I actually think they're coming. It's the... the feeling in me that needs to do it. I have to get rid of the feeling by having the gun so that I can go get the mail because otherwise I can't go out my front door because I don't really think that they're going to get me, but it's just to stop the feeling. And I'm like, oh man, what a complicated, you know, thing. And that's what he lives with, you know? Wow. Like every day, all the time, you know, and I'm just like far out, you know, but Mm. I haven't seen him in years. Like I haven't seen him since I went out to the States like, I don't know, maybe about six or seven, maybe eight years ago. Wow. So, yeah, I don't, we don't, we're not like that. Like, I haven't spoken to him for over a year and a bit because we go in and out of these droughts of just like no chats. And then we just talk to each other every month for about an hour or two. And, you know, and then we go out of it. So, what about your mom? I don't, Facebook Messenger. That's the extent of my conversations with my mom. It's a really weird, broken thing with her. And your stepmom? Dead. Died when my son was, or the youngest was four weeks old, alcohol. So she always battled alcoholism. So that was her big thing. Um, yeah, so she she was beautiful, though. Very different. Thought she was going to murder me, which was weird as a child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because um, I literally Jesus. went to bed with a knife under my pillow when I said she was going to kill me. That's how, mu- how much I manifested her view of me. Um, so I had two half-sisters. Yeah. And everything, from what I remember up to the point of when – the whole finally everybody moved uh, the marriage broke down and everything like everybody moved in different houses um was is that she favored my sisters to the point where you know i wasn't allowed to be kind of who i was i overheard arguments you know all sorts of different things that probably weren't up for my ears but to the point where i knew she was like the girls aren't getting what they're supposed to get you know how like how dare you consider what joe you know, once like, you know, go play ice hockey. We got to pay for that. Just all this sort of stuff. And my mom would contribute from afar, but you know, it's the point where I just, I was adamant. She hated my guts. Right. And I don't know, I don't know why, but you know, a young mind. And to the point where I, I was just thought she'd kill me in my sleep one night. Like that's where I got to with her. Um, but then the, the, the biggest irony of all of that was, is when I, when she kind of like moved out and, um, you know, I really kind of cared for my sisters a fair whack, like in the sense of try to help them through all this in a real weird brotherly way of like, no, it's okay. You know, you know, we'll, you'll be okay. Everything will be fine. I kind of looked after him a little bit, um, as she battled her alcoholism that then, you know, she became one of my biggest advocates as well. Right. So when she was sober and she kind of was in and out of this stuff, she became my biggest advocate, biggest supporter, uh, you know, like just, did anything for me in a really weird way. And all of a sudden I was just like, wow, this, like she called me and apologized and she just did all this stuff mm. that to stabilize her life. You know, in the end it all came crashing down around her. She was still battling with her stuff, right. And never got clear of any of it, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, she became my biggest advocate, which was weird because my own parents were not, um, mm. they were the ones saying no to me and saying, no, don't do this or no, you can't do that. Or no, just, you know, stay on this or whatever. Um, you know, she was the one saying, oh, you want to learn how to play guitar? Like, here's 150 bucks, go figure out how to buy a guitar. You know, and I was like, that's all I need because that's what I need to express in myself now. My parents were like, no, go, don't do that. You know, so she was the one kind of saw me for mm. the thing I was. And then it was really weird because I got videos of me as a baby, which was from my aunt and uncle um, that I kind of know a little bit. Um, 
of her caring for me before, uh, like in that gap, that four month to nine month gap where she was looking after me as a baby, like crawling around. And so there was like all this stuff where I was like, no, actually she did give a shit. I probably was very wrong. She was probably going through heaps of stuff, but as an adult, you can look back at it and see it for what it was. And I've had children. And knowing what a special sort of love and commitment that takes to look after a baby. So yeah, it was just a, yeah, a different thing, but um, mm. yeah, lots of weird stuff in the background. Like the definition of my stuff comes from really weird ground. So yeah, I think my story is, and, I, and I've gone through, I've gone through family of origin stuff as well. Um, and I've identified heaps of stuff like with my own mom and like abandonment stuff and, you know, yeah. bits and pieces. And I'm I, like, I think fundamentally I'm all right with a lot of these things. They still itch. But it all came out of my previous marriage, right? That really was the the final ripping off of everything. And like when I ended all of that, I really shed a lot of these things that I was still holding on to um, and really had to open my eyes up to actually really figuring out like what I need as a person, not what I'm trying to achieve by representing all of this old stuff that kind of I'd built myself up on. So like I actually really like transformatively mm. altered my existence <laughs> i remember when it first happened that i reached out to my high school best friend and my high school girlfriend because in, in my mind that was the point at which i kind of began everything like my adulthood and there was a version of me as a child that i that i didn't recognize or didn't know who it was anymore so i sent them these long emails saying look you know this is my whole life it's completely falling apart you know i know we don't really even talk anymore like in my my ex-girlfriend especially um, but what I'm trying to do is understand, do you remember who I was and what I was trying to do? Because I don't know who that person was. And I'm trying wow. to reconnect back to that point, because if I can make a connection back to that, it might help me better understand what I lost, what I, what I, how I went wrong or possibly the trail that I was following mm-hmm. and why, you know, give me some light. And they both wrote back to me and like kind of re reworked, you know, who I was, what I meant, you know, how I was with you know, that life that I, you know, mount, cause I grew up in the mountains and it was just really different. Yeah. And they reconnected me in a really weird way back to that moment, which kind of helped me go, that's right. You know, actually, you know, all these questions I have about who I am in this rebuild, you know, fundamentally that person is there, but that person has been completely hidden away to build up this other thing that I thought I was supposed to be doing, which fundamentally was just a bunch of shit. Really. It didn't really matter. Like mm. it all fell, it fell down tremendously. Um, you know, and obviously went through a lot of shit, you know, to get through my divorce and mm. like depression, but got through the other side of that and, you know, really felt like actually knew who I was like as a person, what I was trying to get out of life and then was able to like flip a switch. But like, I was like past 35, like I was like, well, that's a bit late to figure this out, but at least I can make the most of this Not now. Not when we live till a hundred. Well, mate. yeah, that's... I guess now I think about it that way. But at the time I was like, shit, there's a lot of my life that's just gone by. And what uh, do I do now? You know? Yeah. Um, which is very much be living in probably far more in the moment, like and being a part of that as much as possible and mm. kind of refining that down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So being more aware of the the present moment as mm. the most important thing yeah. rather than these fantasy realities we create in the future. Yeah. And also the fantasy narratives that we've created about our past. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, what I've, I fundamentally believe is, is that right in this minute is the only thing that you're connected to. Like it, you cannot 
things in the past are all like their their stories and their things you know but i think the narrative thing is scary right and so i've told myself many stories about my past right and so i've just told you a whole bunch about my past and that's the constant that's just the book i pull off the shelf to tell it but yeah. if i i always can go back if i look at it and unpick parts of it and even in just talking to you today it's it's again rewritten aspects of it because you know yes it is what it is but it doesn't necessarily change the specific like this moment right this is unfolding in the way that it's unfolding as a result of everything up until this point um you know and so therefore it's better just to be here and being open to that dialogue and the thing that we're talking about than it is to kind of be going oh no but that's not this or what about this you know people edit so fast now with their lives you know no this doesn't fit my future this doesn't fit the past i can't even be engaged here yeah glaze out you know you can see it happening and it's also, you know, people bring that into my room as well. Yeah. You know, the content, mm. the stuff that they yeah. want to talk about. Yeah. The shit that was in the argument they had last <sighs> night about who, I don't know, yeah. cooks dinner or, you know, the content isn't the content. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. And if couples can be, you know, I'm talking about this in a sort of relational perspective because mm. that's that's um, what I do. But mm. if couples can be present with each other mm. and witness each other in the present moment mm. and really be there in a vulnerable state and hold each other in that space, mm. it is completely transformative mm. because very rarely, you know, you were talking about, you know, experiments where people look at each other in the eyes for yeah, 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah. We don't look at our partners for more than a couple of seconds yeah. at a time. Mm. And it takes at least seven seconds for us to really register an emotional mm. response to mm. something someone said. And at that point, we're already three sentences into our response yeah, yeah. when we're in an argument, right? Yeah, yeah. So if we can actually really be present, mm. hear the other person and take seven seconds to let it land. Yeah. That's inside huge. of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. huge we yeah. hear our partners in a way we've never mm. heard them before. Mm. And we're able to let our partners hear us in a way mm. that they've never heard us before. Mm. And that's really what everyone wants is yeah. for someone that's able to be present and attuned mm. to them mm. in the moment. Yeah. And having, you know, I, um, my husband and I went and did the weekend couples workshop in Imago therapy. So oh, yeah, to be yeah, trained yeah. as an Imago therapist, you have to go and do it yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is scary mm. <laughs> being mm. on the other side of it. Yeah. And it was mind blowing yeah. to me. It it showed up things that I would never have even thought of when we're actually quiet and present and attuned to each other. Mm. It's magic. Yeah. Um, because I think this is coming full circle. Our conversation yeah. around technology mm. is is you know great and fun and yeah. enriching in lots of ways. Mm. But where's the human? connection because mm. it's really what all of us are yearning for mm. it's a pre-verbal desire mm. to be seen to be safe yeah to be allowed to be us mm. and to be witnessed yeah. in our usness by yeah. another yeah yeah that's the essence of human life mm. and like you were saying asking your high school friend and girlfriend to mm. tell you what was I like it's mm. like I want to reconnect that life pulse that yeah. essence of who I am mm. um, because I feel like I've lost it in the in the busyness and chaos and sadness and frustration of life yeah yeah I mean, that and the joys and frivolity and you know yeah. some of that can also be a distraction mm. from what's at the heart and essence of things and mm. 
it's it's very rare that we take opportunities to actually sit and reflect and and be present in that way with each other. Mm. But if we're able to do that, we can transform ourselves and our relationships. Mm. That's massive. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure we could keep going forever. Um, I do have one question before we go. Sure. How do you say your full name? Giverny. Giverny. So the it's French. It's a French yeah. name. The French okay. say Giverny. Oh, right. It's Giverny. the gardens. Yeah. It's the gardens of Giverny oh, okay. that Monet painted. Okay. Famous. You always go with Giv. Giv. Right. It's a lot easier. Well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I was gonna. You want it when you say it, Giv? Then I think it's it's Giverny. Right or whatever when you yeah, read or it, Giverny. I'm, like, I'm like that can't yeah. be it. So Giverny. Giverny. Oh, yeah. that's really pretty. My dad calls me Giv. Oh, oh yeah. Or Givy. Okay. Is he um, French or no? no. He oh. just likes to put a fancy little. It's a little very very. Yeah, sweet. but everyone just calls me Giv. It's a lot easier. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate no it. No problem. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's the thing. We're Love done. Love it. Thanks, Joe. Cheers. So there you have it. That's uh, that's a you know a bit of a longer one. Uh, it really covered a lot of ground. I mean, she's what uh, what has Jiv not done, uh, and where does she not uh, participate? I mean, it's uh, you know whether it be you know being active in her her career, or being active you know, as a mother, or you know being active as part of her husband's life, or just you know riding the the roller coaster that's life. I mean, it's it's always interesting to have a conversation with somebody where, you know, they, they have insight and there's things that can be gained. And, you know, I really just enjoyed being, you know, present in that. It was, it was a lot of fun. I often think that I talk too much. When I look back on these edits, I feel like I'm the only one that's talking. I wonder if that's actually a thing. Not that I'm overly concerned, but it did, I felt like, you know, when I look at the waveforms as I'm editing this, it looks like it's all just me chatting. But um, anyways, that's probably more in my head than anything else. Look, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I really appreciate you guys sitting through it. I hope you enjoyed this one. I know I did. Uh, and as always, uh, let me know what you're thinking. Uh, reach out. Um, still have not had anyone brand new reach out as such, just people I know in the sort of arm's length, uh, you know, sort of arena of people. Um, but if you are in these other countries listening to this, um, you know, maybe jump on Instagram, maybe leave a comment, uh, maybe share something, let somebody else know. I mean, one of the big things about this is, is, you know, let somebody else know about this, you know, share it with a friend, share it with a colleague, uh, pass it on. You know, if there's bits and pieces in here that you find interesting or you find, uh, maybe interesting to others, um, pass it on to somebody. Uh, again, a bit of a long one. I appreciate your time. And again, I will say it. I thank you for your listening to my podcast. Have a great night, morning, evening, lunch, afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you're listening to this. I hope it's good. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.